please take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. The verses we're going to look at this morning are actually verses 21 through 23. I'd like to just read all the verses from 19 to 23 just to give us the full, a little bit more context. Acts 14, 19 uh, to 23. This is on taking place uh, in the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey, Acts fourteen nineteen to twenty three. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe, and after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Last year, uh, twenty was 2020, and in, during 2020, there was especially during shelter in place and the pandemic, there was a lot of discussion about what makes a, a business or an industry essential, you know. And and rightly, uh, we think of uh, medical centers, medical hospitals, and things like that, or uh, grocery stores, food, and those were essentials. But also, rightly, many of the churches argued that church is essential, right? Church is essential. Of course, the question that naturally follows from that is, why are churches essential? What goes on in a, in a local church or in this particular local church that is, that is essential for humanity? Now, we may each participate in the life of uh, this church in various ways for various reasons, but if we had to pick one or two areas that are, are most essential about this church, what, what is it? What would it be? Some of us might think in terms of specific programs of the church, you might say that it's, it's the worship services or the fellowship groups or the Sunday schools. Others may answer the question in terms of particular functions of a church. I would think that uh, maybe a good number of us here would say, no, it's, it's the teaching of the Bible uh, that is essential. For some, it may be the community or fellowship of like-minded believers to pray for one another, to, to share with uh, burdens and, and needs with one another, to help one another in times of difficulty. One might also think of it in terms of our focus on our vertical relationship with God and say that what is essential is our, is our worship that's directed to God through the songs that we sing, through the praise that's offered to Him. And still others may say that it's, it's a more horizontal, it's, it's beyond outside these doors, it's, through, that's, it's our outreach and service to our community. When I, but the question really boils down to one question. A particular question is that what is the church's mission and purpose? For that will indicate whether this church or any church is essential. And the Bible teaches that when Christians gather as a church, our purpose is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we do so out of love for God and love for our neighbor. No other entity, no other organization on earth is devoted for this particular purpose. And in a world that is facing death and judgment for eternity, the only answer is reconciliation with God, our Creator, through His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is why 
churches are essential. The purpose of making disciples, it was given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18-20, which we read. Interestingly, from that point on, the term or the verb to make disciples is found in only one other New Testament passage, our scripture today. And although the word is not used in any of the epistles, the concept of making disciples and all its related functions is found throughout. As we focus on our passage today, we'll see not only what is involved in making disciples, but also its priority in the church. Last week, uh, as few were with us, we began a series called Introducing as a Bible. And for those of you who are new, uh, hopefully you can go back and listen to even last week's message, if you haven't, didn't get to hear it yet. But this series will give you a better understanding of what Esop's Bible strives to be. And for those of you, of course, who are veterans of this church, long-time attenders and members, this series will remind you what are the essentials of ministry that we strive for. What is to be the function of the church? Even as our forms, even as our programs change and are, are no longer appropriate, Last week we looked at how the Lord calls SF Bible to be a church that loves, that loves God and loves our neighbor as ourselves. This week we will see that the Lord calls SF Bible to be a church that makes disciples. The context of the passage, as we've read, is the latter half of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. Sent out by the church in uh, Syrian Antioch, Paul had traveled from Cyprus to Pisidian Antioch to Iconium and Lystra. And these were churches in Asia Minor. But wherever they traveled, they, they faced opposition. Such as in Lystra, which we just read, Paul had actually been stoned and left for dead. We read in verse 20 that he got up and he went to Derby the next day and continued his ministry in the face of continued persecution. And what that ministry then looked like from that point on might be summarized, in verses, uh, is, is summarized for us in verses 21 to 23. And we will outline our passage, our, our sermon this morning, us in four activities of Paul's mission ministry, four activities of Paul's mission ministry that remind us of Bible of the priority of disciple making, the priority of making disciples. So four activities, four points for our sermon this morning. Hopefully that will be an encouragement to you. Four activities of Paul's mission ministry that remind us of Bible of the priority of disciple making. The first activity that we have, that we observe here in this passage, in verse 21, is preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. It says uh, in verse, can I read the last part of verse 20? It says, the next day, it says that uh, after being stoned, left for dead, he left Lystra for, he and Barnabas left Lystra for Derby, And there in Derby. after they had preached the gospel to that city. So that's what they did. That's the first uh, activity. Their first task as they involved preaching the gospel to whatever city that God would lead them to. And Derby was that place. From this Greek, uh, the Greek word, uh, verb from which we get our English word here, we get the word evangelize. To evangelize is to, to tell others of the good news of Jesus Christ. How he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave to offer eternal life, forgiveness of sins to all who repent and believe. Paul evangelized throughout the cities that he ministered to, if we just look through the book of Acts. In Acts 13.32, Paul explained to the Jews of Pisidian and Antioch, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. 
And when the Jews began to contradict the gospel, Paul and Barnabas then turned to preach the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts 13.46. When opposition arose from Gentiles and Jews, Paul and Barnabas then, according to chapters 14, verse 6 to 7, fled to Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding region, and there they continued to preach the gospel. An essential part of making disciples is preaching the gospel. The telling of the good news of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Paul writes in Romans 10.14 these words, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Imagine, if you will, that we want to grow some flowers. Uh, Let's just say we want to grow some sunflowers, okay? Uh, We might first want to study how to grow sunflowers. You can kind of just go to Wikipedia and read about sunflowers. Okay, maybe you can find some uh, sunflowers.com and read about uh, that. We can study it. We might read a book, read a a webpage. We can start talking to others about the best ways to grow sunflowers. Maybe even we'll, we'll start a club, a sunflower growing club. And we'll get together on a weekly basis and we'll talk about growing sunflowers. But you know what? We're not going to grow a single sunflower unless we actually plant some sunflower seeds, right? We need to actually plant seeds if we wish to grow sunflowers. And so in a similar way, we need the preaching of the gospel if we ever want to make disciples. Preaching the gospel doesn't just mean we all have to doesn't mean all have to go out into the world and become missionaries. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 speaks of how God has apportioned to each of us a sphere of people that you and I can reach. And our spheres are all different. Sometimes they have a slight overlap, but each of us have a unique sphere. Some of us have small spheres that just reach to our families and our, and our friends. Some gifted evangelists among us here in this body have larger spheres of influence. They're they're talking with a lot of different people and they can influence hundreds and thousands. And whereas many missionaries have an even greater sphere that reaches whole nations. The the truth is, some of us here are gifted evangelists. It's very natural. And you think it's natural, but it's really a gift from the Lord. You just can strike up a conversation with any stranger and they lead that conversation into discussions about the truths of God. And some of us are not gifted evangelists. Oftentimes, we, we do well to introduce our unsafe friends and family to those among us who are gifted evangelists. You kind of know who they are. They're just people who make the gospel so clear when they explain it. But sometimes, God is calling you and me to tell the good news with our friend who, who may be going through a divorce maybe a friend or relative who is maybe dying from a disease. Maybe it's, it's you who, are, who God is calling to explain to your child who's, a, who's asking about death. When God opens the door before you, you've got to walk through it and proclaim the gospel as best as you can, trusting that the power to save is not in your particular speech, your cleverness of speech or your eloquence, but it's in the power of the words of the gospel. Romans 1.16, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save. As a church, let's preach the gospel to the people in our lives. And that's the initial part of making disciples. And Paul preached the gospel in his his ministry. And so naturally, we, uh, we observe Paul 
making disciples. And that's point number two. That's activity number two. Really, it's a really overarching point. But I want to make it, but it is our point number two, making disciples. Paul was involved in making disciples. Verse 21 says, after they had preached the gospel of that city and had made many disciples. And here's our key verb, key word. It's the same one that is used in the Great Commission. After preaching the gospel, they had made many disciples. What does it mean to, to make disciples? The word disciple, first of all, means someone who is a, a learner or a student, a follower. To make disciples then, is to make the students or followers of Jesus Christ. We also learn from earlier in Acts, Acts eleven twenty six. The disciples, particularly in Antioch, were there, were first called Christians. And so eventually disciples became known as Christians. So in effect, a disciple equals a Christian, equals a follower of Christ. And this is important to know because of two common misconceptions of disciple making. First is the error of equating disciple making with evangelizing. That we equate the two. That all you have to do is share the gospel, and once they believe, our job of disciple-making is done. The second error is the error of considering disciple-making as basically an optional activity for advanced, higher-level Christians. And in either case, both shortchange the church from fulfilling her purpose. Both are inaccurate. The result of both these errors is that at best, we, we too, we we have too many immature Christians on our hands who never develop in the faith. At worst, we actually have people who think they're Christians, but in reality are unregenerate, are unsaved, because they've ignored the call to follow Jesus as Lord and teacher. Recall Luke 14, 27, where Jesus said, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus would repeat this statement throughout his ministry several times in the Gospels. While disciple-making begins with evangelism, it involves more than just evangelism. Disciple-making also involves teaching one to be a follower of Christ. And I want to go back and look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19-20. When Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, then he modifies that. He, he modifies it with basically two participles in, that follow. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's really another way of saying evangelism, because baptism is the entry, is the, is, the, uh, is the ordinance by which one recognizes entrance into the faith. That they have believed, and so they want to be baptized as a testimony of that. So the baptizing indicates evangelism. But the second part of in verse 20, is teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's the latter part, the other part of of making disciples. It's not just, it's different from evangelism, it's edification, it's equipping of the saints. See, making disciples does not end when a person professes faith in Christ. It ends when a person is complete or mature in Christ. Well, we're going to look at that, a pastor that talks about that next week. You know, in most sports, it's, it's pretty exciting to play offense, right? Because you, you, offense, you get to score. But in order to win the game, you need both offense and defense, generally. The same goes with making disciples. It's awesome and praiseworthy when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ through evangelism. But that's not the goal, right? It's not, to, it's not the end goal. The goal is Christ-likeness for everyone. 
The equally important, although less glorious part of disciple-making is teaching a newer or younger or immature Christian how to follow Christ, how to keep His commands. It's much like a parent's responsibility. And many of us here in the church are young parents, young, have young, have young kids. It's a, it was ex- glorious and exciting when our children were born. We're just ecstatic, we're over the moon. But that was just the beginning of a parent's responsibility, wasn't it? From that point on, you, you patiently, lovingly labor to raise that child to adulthood. You're not just keeping them alive, but you're teaching them how to become responsible adults who in turn will raise other responsible adults. Now, granted, you can't teach them everything there is to know in this world, but you can teach them how and where to find the answers that they need. In disciple-making, we teach them that the answers are found in Christ. It's why Paul then gave himself uh, in our te- in our passage to the third activity in his ministry, strengthening the disciples, strengthening disciples. We heard this. We pick up in verse twenty-two of Acts chapter fourteen. Uh, we can actually they returned. It tells us that they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue the faith, and saying, "Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God." Um, really the, the key verb here is this idea that Paul and Barnabas returned to the very cities that they had faced opposition in. They'd returned to the cities that they, their lives were threatened and he was stoned in Lystra. See, if the goal was to lead a person to saving faith, then Paul's purpose was already accomplished, right, at these places. He had already led many people to the Lord. He could have taken a, a different, safer route home to, to Antioch. But the reason he returns to the same cities is because his ministry among them was not complete. He had preached the gospel and led many people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He returned not to preach the gospel again to them, though he probably preached the gospel to other new people, but he returned to strengthen the souls of the disciples. This this phrase, strengthen disciples, is repeated throughout Acts. He would do it throughout his ministry in his second missionary journey, Acts 15.41 tells us that he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. On his third missionary journey in Acts 18-23, we read that he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Here on the first mission journey, he was strengthening the souls of the disciples as well. The soul here uh, refers to those, is often referred to as the seed of one's emotions and feelings. And so, but why do, why do people's souls need strengthening in these cities? Well, the rest of the verse gives us an idea. Because in this world, tribulations tempt us to fall away from the faith. In this life, there will be many tribulations, many afflictions, many distress. And of course, this should, not be a, this should not be a surprise to us. We live in a sin-cursed world. Even our Savior said in John 16, 33, In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. When we become followers of Christ, it doesn't mean we no longer face trials. Everyone in this world, you, me, 
and I continue to face trials, even as Christians. God allows trials to test our faith. There will be financial trials, interpersonal trials, physical trials, emotional trials, and so on and so forth. For newer Christians, and sometimes even older Christians, trials can really weaken us, even tempt us to to fall away from the faith. But God intends trials and tribulations and distress and afflictions to make our faith stronger. 2020 was a year of tribulation. And the Lord used it as an opportunity for the church to be strengthened through our encouragement of one another. Let's not be surprised if 2021 brings more of the same. Because in this world, you have tribulation. And through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. Part of making disciples then is really the strengthening of one another's faith. We do this in various ways in the church, but primarily through speaking truth into one another's lives. And we'll kind of look at that next week as well. We can do this through, as well, through prayer for one another. In fact, many times, uh, prayer is the only thing you can do. We do through accountability, through acts of mercy, through offering help, through use of our spiritual gifts and personal skills. See, in disciple-making, we're not just passing on truth. We're not just filling one's head with more knowledge only. We're strengthening one another for the tribulations that we will face in this world. Brothers and sisters, we need one another. We need each other to strengthen our faith. We need the church. That's what Paul does. Paul strengthens his disciples. Paul does one more activity in his ministry that isn't mentioned in the Great Commission specifically, but it is a necessary outcome of disciple-making. And that's in verse 23. And that is our fourth and final point. And that is that a the activity of appointing elders. Appointing elders. Verse 23, When they appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It tells us here that uh, the <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas had appointed elders, a, a plurality of elders, a group of elders, for the church in, in every church. So it wasn't just one elder of a church. It was multiple elders in each church. They were uh, selected through prayer and fasting. They were, it, was, it was a spiritual endeavor that they had to seek the Lord's will about. And they commended these, uh, these elders to the Lord in whom they believed. They commended the Lord. So Paul and Barnabas didn't just make disciples and leave them to fend for themselves. They didn't say, hey, oh, we'll come back whenever we get a chance. For disciples needed shepherds, shepherd leaders who would continue the work begun by Paul. This past week, two events reminds me of the importance of, of appointing elders in Christ's churches. First, 
on Friday, I conducted the memorial and burial service for uh, Elder Victor Kwong. He was among the first lay elders appointed in this church. There were, you know, we had pastors and they were elders, but among the, the lay elders, the, the non-staff elders we call them, the lay elders, he was among the first. He was among the first three. And God uses lay elders. Pastors, staff pastors, staff elders, all, they, we come and go. God calls us elsewhere. We're like missionaries in that sense. But God uses lay elders to shepherd the flock of God for the long haul. And God used Victor in that way. God used Victor and, and those early lay shepherds of this flock to steady this flock, to move uh, this church forward. He was instrumental, in fact, in bringing me along to shepherd this flock back in some many years ago. Secondly, though, the second event is something that's going to happen later today. And that we will be affirming uh, in our church family meeting our two assistant pastors as official elders of Christ Church. You know, biblically speaking, pastors are elders. Pastors, elders, overseers are all the, really the same term. They're used to be used interchangeably. Next time you can go see a lay elder, call them pastor, because that's really what they are. And we're going to be particularly, we're going to be affirming um, Pastor Roger and Pastor Ray as elders of Christ Church. And when I look at Pastor Roger, and I think of Pastor Ray, I think of him as a young child, really, um, oftentimes, and I hope he forgives me for that, but uh, it's hard not to because I, I met him in, those in that context. And I know that during those early years, during those junior high years, he was taught by, because uh, he taught all of them, he was taught by Victor. One of our first elders teaching one of our future elders. But now Roger is a grown man. He's no longer a young man. He's at the age when Jesus began his ministry and walked on earth and, and served uh, through, and preached the gospel on earth. And we were recognizing today that God is entrusting the future of this church to shepherds like him and Pastor Ray. See, appointing elders in Christ's church is not just meant for the Galatian churches here in Asia Minor, but for all churches. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul taught Titus, uh, who was ministering on the island of Crete, to appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And while elders are to be gifted teachers, more important is their godly character. The rest of Titus, Titus 1 through 6, 1, 6 through 9, describes the qualifications of a leader. And with the exception of one attribute, the qualification of, that is, of, of teaching, being able to teach, the rest of the qualifications all concern one's behavior, one's, char one's character. And why is this important? Because making disciples is about making followers of Christ. Then a leader whose life exemplifies the character of Christ is going to be much more effective in teaching others to follow Jesus Christ. This applies to, to not just elders, it applies to all of us who are disciple makers. As the Church of Jesus Christ grew and local churches grew, the apostles could not practically spend time disciple-making in every church, especially the, the strengthening of disciples. 
God's pattern from the earliest days of Israel was to delegate responsibility and authority to others, and that continued into the New Testament. Jesus delegated the responsibility to make disciples to his apostles. And as the church grew, the apostles delegated responsibility to elders in each church. And as the local churches grew, the elders then delegated other responsibility to deacons and deaconesses. And this pattern has continued on to churches today. There's a couple of applications we think about the importance of, of appointing elders, really appointing others to the task of making disciples, passing it on to others. A couple of applications for us as a church. First of all, as we make disciples, we should always be thinking about passing on uh, and, and entrusting our responsibility to someone else. We should always be looking to disciple someone who might potentially replace us. Not necessarily that they will, but who potentially might. As we disciple people, as a pastor, I always must be mindful that I must be discipling somebody for the hopes that among us, there will be someone who will replace me as a pastor. And each of us must do the same. Because none of us are here going to be here forever. We need to be disciple-making, future disciple-makers. Second, and more particularly, we need men uh, who will answer God's call to be elders of this church. You know, we don't, sometimes we think of elders as being those who basically make decisions. And I, I, don't, like, I don't like that kind of perception. It's incorrect. Though, if that's what we're making, if that's, if that's what we're portraying, then, then it's, that's on us. But elders are men who would aspire to the position of elder because they desire to do the work of a shepherd leader. Men who aspire to the responsibility of making disciples, of teaching Christ's truths, being an example of Christ, who will train up faithful men who will be able to train others also. We really need to look for these elders who will seek opportunities to disciple and shepherd a group of other people in their faith. Third uh, application, more broadly, we need not just elders, but ministry leaders in this church. We have many ministry leaders, but we need ministry leaders who will see themselves as disciple-makers. Many of you are involved in the, in the leadership of various ministries in this church. You're, you know, you're teaching in it, you're, you're planning it, you're administrating it. And in whatever form of your leadership takes in that ministry, you must first remember that you are a disciple-maker. This church is too large for the elders to disciple everyone effectively. And so we have delegated responsibility to many of our deacons and deaconesses, our ministry leaders, we call them, who really, really are just simply servant leaders. If you're a counselor in a fellowship group, your primary purpose is discipling those in your fellowship. If you're working with a ministry that is, uh, that is, a, a set, uh, that is uh, more physical or planning-related, like facilities, special events, etc., you must see your primary task as that of discipling those in your ministry, those whom you're training and teaching up how to to operate those things that, you, that you're doing, administrate those things you're administrating. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you're not just teaching the Bible to the class. You're making disciples. We need leaders who will rise up to the responsibility and authority of being disciple makers. 
And this, uh, even this afternoon, we're going to affirm once again our, uh, many of our ministry leaders who are uh, as deacons and deaconesses of the church. And why do we do that? I mean, some people have asked me, why are you calling me? I don't need, I can just do the work without the time. But I want, I want, we do that because as a church, we want every ministry leader, if we entrust you with a ministry or souls under your care, we want you to know that God expects you to be like Jesus. God expects you to be of a godly character that exemplifies Christ. And there's no title or office of ministry leader, so there's only the title of elders, and then there's titles of deacons and deaconesses. And so we acknowledge you as deacons and deaconesses. And that really just means servants, servant leaders of Christ's church. That's why we, we, we aim that every ministry leader is be, be deacon and deaconess qualified. So disciple-making church is going to be one that's going to be appointing elders, but also appointing other leaders, adding more leaders as, as more are led to Christ and as more are taught to make disciples. We want to see that happen. And uh, just excited uh, and to see that that's, that is something that has been going on in Essa Bible, and it should be going on in Essa Bible after so many years. As you conclude then, in this passage, we observe four activities of the Apostle Paul in his mission ministry. Preaching the gospel, making disciples, strengthening the disciples, and appointing leaders. And if you can think about it, there really is just a summary, another way of saying the Great Commission. The preaching of the gospel is, is the baptizing, equivalent to the baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The making disciples is making disciples. The, teach, the, the strengthening disciples is basically the equivalent of teaching the saints to continue in the faith by observing God's command, Christ's commands. And then as disciples are made, we, we delegate the responsibility to make others, to lead and lead in disciple-making to these elders and these ministry leaders that Christ brings to the church. As the Bible's purpose, as the Bible's mission in our world is to glorify God through the making of disciples of Jesus Christ. And it involves preaching the gospel, strengthening the disciples, and appointing leaders who will disciple others. And that's our task. And whatever form and whatever programs our church takes in 2021, whether we continue outdoor, online, or in small groups, God calls SF Bible to be a church that makes disciples. And let this principle guide what we consider essential for this ministry. Let us guide what we do. We don't waste it on things that are not essential. We are, we're in a, a church is essential. Let's make sure that we spend our energies then on doing the things that are essential. I'll leave you for three questions just for you to meditate on, discuss this week as you have opportunity. Questions are this. Number one, how are you in your ministry? You personally, your ministry generally, uh, making disciples. How is it making disciples of Jesus Christ? Think about that. Uh, think of some way that you're communicating. A lot of our ministries are act, sometimes we're act, are activity focused, but how is it making disciples? Think in terms of the act, are, they, are these activities that we find here in this scripture are they being done in, in in your ministry in your life? Number two, question number two for you to think about is who in your sphere, who in your life, can you prayerfully seek to evangelize? Who are you seeking to evangelize? Because God wants us to be preaching the gospel. We've got to prayerfully seek, those, seek the Lord to open doors for that. Thirdly, 
Who in your sphere, in your life, can you prayerfully seek to strengthen? You know, we all need strengthening. But God has put people in our lives who need strengthening as well. So let's, let's have an other-centered focus, other focus and look for, prayerfully ask God to show us people in our lives to, to seek to strengthen. Strengthen the faith, strengthen through meeting needs, emotional, physical, uh, spiritual needs. Let's pray about that. Who, who can we seek to ask God to help us to strengthen this week? And uh, in all that we do, and all the, everything that we do on a daily basis as, a, as Christians individually, as a church corporately, or in small groups, may we, uh, may we prayerfully, prayerfully ask God to, to use us as His instruments to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's, that's why we exist. That's why we're here on earth. Everything else we do as a Christian, we'll do way better in heaven, except make disciples. Let's do that, brothers and sisters. Let us the Bible be a church that makes disciples. Let's pray. Father, help us to be a church that makes disciples. Help us be faithful to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.